Welcome to the Healthy Habits for Life podcast. I'm Dr. Carol Perlman, a psychologist, health coach, and married mom of two boys. I went from a frazzled mompreneur who hits snooze until the last possible moment to a vibrant business owner who jumps out of bed at 5 a.m. excited about my day. I once felt completely overwhelmed by my endless task list, but have learned how to work smarter, not harder, by studying health habits, mindset, and time management. I love to teach others how to implement top recommendations for health, happiness, and success. Yes, busy moms can learn how to stop picking at your kids' leftover food, create a daily exercise routine, and stay on top of the to-do list so you go to bed feeling fantastic about your day. Tune in each week as I share my best strategies for creating and sustaining daily habits for a healthy lifestyle and chat with other experts in the health and wellness industry. I'm your host, Dr. Carol Perlman. This is the Healthy Habits for Life show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Healthy Habits for Life podcast. I'm Carol Perlman, and thank you so much for joining me today. Today's topic is something a little bit different, but it's actually very relevant to Healthy Habits for Life. And today we're talking about being a caregiver for elderly people and what that is like and some of the strategies that can make that journey a little bit more bearable, a little easier. So I have with me Daniela Masters. So welcome, Daniela. Thanks so much, Carol. Great to be here. I'm so glad you're here. Daniela is the expert. And so again, this isn't a topic that I talk about a lot on the show, and I'm so glad that you're here to share some of your wisdom. So, you know, a lot of people, as we hit this next age bracket, a lot of us are starting to become caregivers of parents and other family members. And it's really, um, it's quite a journey. It's a gift that we can give to our family members, but it also can be a very complicated journey. And you have seen a lot over the years, and I know you, you have a lot of wisdom in this area. So I'm excited that we can share that and perhaps provide some guidance for people who are going through this right now. But let's back up for now. Um, tell us a little bit about your background, the work that you were doing, and then how you got into this company that you are now uh, running. Great. Thanks so much, Carol. So I am a licensed independent clinical social worker, and I worked for many years, over 28 years now in the field, primarily with the aging population um, and families. I worked in subacute, um, subacute settings or long-term care facilities skilled nursing facilities, as some people know them. I've done a little bit of work in assisted living facilities, and I also work in acute care hospitals. So I love being part of a um, team approach. I'm very much like a systems individual, and I like to put all of the pieces together. That's really what I do um, in my work. But um, four years ago, maybe a little over four years ago, I started thinking, there has to be more to this because all of the roles that I was involved in, it felt like I was just putting band-aids on situations. I was only able to see the client, maybe their family, maybe not, um, for a very short period of time. And I was only getting a little snippet of what was really happening and trying to throw resources at it not knowing if any of those resources would actually stick once they left the um, hospital, skilled nursing facility, whatever, whatever environment they were in. 
So I started thinking, I, I want to have a bigger impact on these elders and their families. And that's when I started looking into becoming a geriatric care manager. So, and actually this is perfect timing because this month is my four year anniversary. Oh my goodness. I know. I can't believe it's been four years since I started the practice. Well, Um, I remember talking to you back then as you were just, you know, printing business cards and just putting it all together. So that's crazy. That was four years ago. I know. Um, I love it. I truly love every minute of it. I really get to know my clients. I really get to know their family members. I'm able to go into their homes, wherever that is, wherever they are at the current time and assess the situation and assess the individual as a whole. So I really look at, I look at legal um, implications, financial implications, um, the housing environment, equipment, resources needed for housing. Um, caregivers needed for housing, family dynamics, and how do the family dynamics play into what is happening with this elder? Um, And you know that that is a huge part, a huge part of what we do. Um, And it has just been, I just can't say enough. It has been so rewarding to me to really see something through and get them to a place that is a good place for them and let the family feel like we are now calm. We have all the information that we need for right now and for the future. So realistically, people, most people call me during a crisis, which is understandable, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're scared. We don't know where to go. Um, of course, I would love it if they would call me before the crisis yes. <laughs> so that we could alleviate the crisis, but that doesn't happen as much. Yeah. Um, but I really, you know, do my best to get them through the crisis because that's the imminent stress, right? Everyone is stressed about that piece, but also take the time to get all the other information that I need to be able to put these puzzle pieces together for what is going to happen in the future. And what are your options? What are the things that you can look for based on their medical diagnoses, their medications, um, their functionality, their cognitive status? Certainly, I don't have a like, you know, uh, looking glass that I know what's going to happen next but I can have a pretty good trajectory of where this is going to go to give them at least the right options based on their financial situation, based on, you know, the social situation and the physical and functional stuff. This is where we're heading. So So can I back up and ask you a quick question? Yeah. So who is it that comes to you? So you talk about the elder as your client per se, but I imagine that it's usually not that person who's reaching out to you. So how, who reaches out to you and how is that connection made? It is, you're absolutely right. It is typically a family member. It is typically a family member that reaches out saying, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. This just happened to mom and dad. And I simply don't know what to do, how to get this moving. So you're right. You're right. The family member typically reaches out. And then my first meeting with the client, I usually do ask a family member to be there as well. 
so that I can meet them. Um, but I do try to really establish a rapport with the client. I want them to know that I am there to help them. I'm there to be on their side. My goal is for them to have the best quality of life that they can for the remainder of time that they have. Now, is it ever the case that really the family members of your, are your client? And, you know, maybe like I imagine from what I know about various situations that, that I have seen um, through my own work, that sometimes there may be a need for you to really deal with the family and maybe the elder person themselves doesn't know necessarily that you're in there supporting them. Like, is that ever a situation you're in where it's really the family who's your client? Not typically. I mean, once I get involved in a case, they're all my client, Okay, right? They're all my client because oftentimes there are family dynamics behind the scenes that there's one spokesperson that's like, I'm having a really hard time. How do I talk to my siblings about this? How do I talk to my dad about this? So I am that sounding board for them. And I have a lot of clients who are only children mm. who really struggle with needing and wanting that validation that what I'm doing for mom and dad is the right thing. I'm not missing something. I'm not, um, I'm not doing it wrong. Yeah. Right. There's such monumental decisions that they're making. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So, um, so you, you, it sounds like, so you could work with all combinations within the yes. family and like yes. they're all, once the, once you are brought in to help, you can meet with anyone involved. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Anyone that wants to be involved, yeah. there's typically a key family member and the client. Those are, are the key pieces, but I will often have um, family Zoom meetings, family conference calls to go over, okay, dad's in the hospital. This is what's happening. This is what it means because there's so many um insurance implications and there's, you know, what documents need to be completed in order to get them from here to there. There's all these little pieces that if you're not in this field, you wouldn't know them. And, yeah. and that's okay. It's right. You don't need to know them. Um, but it really, um, it really gives the family an opportunity to ask all the questions that they want to ask that in those settings, like hospitals and anywhere, you know, everyone is so busy. Everyone's so busy. They don't have time for anybody mm -hmm. anymore in today's society. I am there for the family. That is who I am. So incredible if, gift. Yeah. yeah. If they need to call me at seven o'clock at night because something has happened, um, that's what happens. Yeah. So I know great. I I find myself saying this. I refer people to you all the time. <laughs> And before I, before you were in business, I referred to another team and I say all the time when it comes up that when you are the family member going through it, you know, these are such big, very difficult, super important situations and decisions. And it's usually, you know, you've only gone through it with your own family members, but someone like you has been through it so many times you've seen these scenarios play out. And so even though, of course, you know, we can't always predict the future, but you have seen it enough that you have a good sense of what to anticipate. And I just want to underscore so much the value of having someone who has done just this. We all have our areas of expertise, but mm -hmm. this is your area. You have seen it and you can predict and you can 
be such an incredible support for people navigating this because it is so intense when you're in the middle of it. It's, it's just incredibly hard. Exactly. And you know, what's so funny is being that, um, impartial third party, but also being a professional, I could literally say the exact same thing that a son or daughter says to their loved ones, exact same words, but they hear it from me yeah, because it's not their child. Yeah. Um, so that really, um, is, is very helpful. And I really try to have the elder feel that they are in control of the situation. That is my number one goal, right? Because as we old, we lose, we are losing independence. We lose our ability to drive. We lose our ability to make decisions for ourselves. Sometimes give our own medications, you name it. We lose a lot as we get older. So my goal is really to empower them. So I try to give them choices. Like I never go in and say, this is what you need to do because this is what I said. Absolutely not. Never. However, I will also never give an elder a choice that is an unsafe option. Yeah. So, so they get choices. They may not like either one of them. <laughs> But here are the choices that you are being presented with, and it is your decision to make. Opting out of these two is not an option. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And it it is just so true what you said about how you can deliver the same message that a family member might, and it will be heard differently when the options may not be what that person wants to hear, but it's just the reality. But having it come from you can be so much more effective. Right. Right. Yeah. And there's a lot of very complicated situations out there. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, and I I, I will just, I do want to bring this up. Oftentimes we don't think about these things. We, no one wants to think about aging. No one wants to think about getting your affairs in order, but it is imperative. It is imperative in the society that we are currently living in where people are aging into their nineties, reaching a hundred. And you need to have your estate in order. And so I, I, the one thing I do want to say, and I, and I hope people are, will hear this is that we are not too young to start thinking about this for ourselves. We are not. We, you know, we need to, in the next couple of years, all of us need to start thinking about what do we need to do? Do we need to look into a long-term care insurance? Do we need to set up some kind of um, trust? Do we need to, what do we need to do to protect us and our families if something should happen down the road. Yeah. It is imperative. Funny you should say that. So a few weeks ago at the beginning of this year, I had a guest on my show, Lynn Lambrecht, and she has, um, I should actually connect the two of you because what you do um, is very um, complimentary. So she has a product called The Living Planner and it is basically a workbook. You know, nobody wants to do this work and it can feel so overwhelming. And I'm sure, you know, you hear me talk a lot about the task list. And if you see on your task, look, get your affairs in your task list, get your affairs in order. We're all going to procrastinate and do anything else, but that yes. I will scrub toilets before I, you know, yes. I want to do that. Yes. However, so right. 
It is so important. And Lynn, through her planner, kind of breaks it all down step by step and makes it feel so much more doable. And she'll even do it with you. If you are that person that needs someone to hold your hand, she will do that. So it's a great time. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back a few weeks um, and listen to that one. And we can also put it in the show notes here. We'll put the link to that. And Daniela, I will connect you with her. Yes, please. That'd be a great resource. But yes, she makes it doable, even though it's a task none of us wants to do. Um, it is important. And at the same time, even though we can control and predict some of that and get our ducks in a row as best as we can, you can never really predict exactly how these situations will play out. And so you can do all that and then still find yourself or a family member can find themselves in a complicated situation, which is why someone like you really can be such an asset. You know, we, I say this all the time, how how lucky we are to be surrounded by people who are um, skilled and knowledgeable in all these different areas. We can't possibly Absolutely. know it all. And so take advantage. I'm constantly begging people, take advantage of the yes. professionals that are out there. And it is worth it for your peace of mind and your emotional well-being. It is worth the investment to make these whatever processes they are to make them more manageable. It really is. And, and I always offer a 30 minute free consultation. So if anyone just is like, I, I don't know, like, I just don't know um, if, if this is something I even need, call, always yeah. call, um, you know, uh, and my husband laughs at me, I'm a social worker. So like my, I wear my heart on my sleeve and you're going to get more from me in a phone call, mm -hmm. even for 10 minutes, because immediately as you start to talk, I start to put things together in my head and I will offer some advice and encouragement. And, and there are people that do not need my services. Mm -hmm. They just need maybe an hour consultation just to straighten everything out and make sure that they're going in the right direction. And that's okay. Yeah. And then there's others that really need me to get involved and to get involved ASAP because mm -hmm. the crisis is here and, you know, families families further away now, mm -hmm. right? That's another aspect, right? That we haven't talked about. And, and as our children get older, that's going to be even more, I think, significant because we are giving our, our children the opportunity and the, the skills that they need to venture further mm -hmm. from home and stand on their own two feet and do what they want to do. And that's wonderful. But when you're aging and all of your family members live in different states, this becomes more of an issue because, and, and COVID clearly has really um, shed light on this because, yeah. right, we were so afraid to be near our elder loved ones for fear of bringing anything into their home, right? So we do a lot of the phone calls or maybe even the Zoom calls, but you're not really seeing how that individual is functioning on a day-to-day -day basis. I can't tell you how many families reached out and was like, oh my gosh, I did not know it was this bad. Mm -hmm. And for yeah. the elder, it was horrible for them, for them to lose the interaction with mm -hmm. their loved ones and, and everyone in their lives, the added stress and the isolation really exacerbated cognitive issues that may have already been there, but been kind of 
you know, stable-ish really exacerbated some of these things. Yeah, I can only imagine the twist and the layer of the additional layer of complexity that COVID added to this. Yeah. So as we're talking about, you know, what it's like when you find yourself in this situation of caring for um, an elderly family member, you know, I always like to talk about habits and, um, you know, ways we can make life easier and better. So can we talk about some tips? If you are someone who is in this situation, um, what are some, what's your advice in terms of how to navigate? Well, it's challenging. So it's important to really always show, you know, compassion and empathy. And I think that's, that's really hard because the elder is going through something, they can't control it. And sometimes they can't even verbalize it, what is happening. So, so many of the cognitive deficits, they do not have any insight into what is happening. So it's very frustrating for families. I just said that to you, mom. I just told you that two minutes ago. How could you not remember? It's important to try to take a step back which is really hard yeah. and have that compassion, have that empathy, acknowledge that this is not, they are not doing this on purpose. They are not pushing your buttons on purpose. They don't realize what is happening. So I think that is a really big thing. Yeah. Communication is really important. Communication with your elder, but also communication to all the other supports around them. What are you seeing? I'm not there all the time. You're a caregiver that's in, in the house with mom and dad. What are you seeing? You know, it's important to compare notes. It's important to compare notes and keep those lines of communication open so that everyone knows what is happening. Mm-hmm. Right. And, what, and, and yeah. do what we a- need to intervene? What about, so yeah, so there's communication between family members. And then what about communication and interaction with the elderly person directly? I think that's hard. And you really need to always go at it with, you know, we are coming from a place of love. I think that's what the elder wants to hear more than anything. Mm -hmm. They do not want to see a family member come in and just, this isn't working, mom. This is how we're going to do it that is not going to work out, right? So to sit down with your loved one and say, we love you and we are worried about you. And this is why. Mm -hmm. I also really suggest always to write important things down because you can have a very important conversation with your loved one. And if they have cognitive impairments, that conversation didn't take place. Yeah. So if you kind of gave them, okay, these are the things we're worried about. These are the things we would like to see changed. We have to bullet those pieces of communication and leave that with them. Mm -hmm. Really, really, really important. And what do you find in terms of, um, delivery, like how, you know, there are the words that you need to say and the bullet points. And then in terms of how you say things, what would you say about that? Again, I really think, you know, you really need to try to be as empathetic and caring as possible. 
because they're scared. Yeah. They're scared. A lot of the time they're scared. Something has just happened and it has changed their level of functioning. So they need to come to grips with this new reality for themselves. And you need to give them time to do that. Mm-hmm. Takes a lot of patience, a lot of compassion, a lot of patience. A lot of compassion. Yeah. yeah. All right. What else? What other tips would you add to that? These are so good. Um, I mean, you know, what we've already talked about it. Have your stuff in place. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure that if if you have a, a trust that needs to be established, make sure you have, oh, this is a really good tip. Nothing against estate planners. I think they're absolutely wonderful. I have no problem with that at all. However, as people get older and more things start to come into their lives, more, more illness starts to come into their lives, it is sometimes really imperative that you find an elder care attorney, Mm. someone who specializes in elder care because they know all of the regulations that you have to your advantage to be able to utilize, to get things set up the way you need them to. Yeah. Which may just mean taking the financial plan or the estate plan that you have completed with your estate planner and just having it reviewed by a different set of eyes, Mm -hmm. right? Because they're looking at it differently. They're looking at it through the lens of the cognitive impairments or the physical impairments or the the medical diagnoses that we're seeing. And that can change and shift things. Yeah, that's interesting. I think a lot of us wouldn't know that. So that's interesting. What about any other thoughts in terms of dealing with seniors with dementia? Um, You know, that's a challenge in and of itself. Um, And, you know, I know we often think about memory loss when it comes to dementia, but then there are also the emotional changes that come with dementia. So what would you say in terms of addressing that or working with that? Um, I think it's really important to get a neurologist involved. Mm -hmm. I think it's really, really important. And a lot of people don't do that. And, and I say that because what we want to do when you have some neurological or neuropsych testing completed is you're getting that individual strengths as well as their weaknesses, right? So we need to know both of those so that we can play to the strengths. So if, um, you know, they're okay with written retention, then that's how we need to, you know, we have to put signs up all around the house and little reminders around the house. And that may help um, if they, you know, have, it's just, it's a really important to have that neuropsych testing Mm -hmm. done so that you know where they stand. And, you know, there are no medications. I mean, there, there, there are medications, but there's nothing that's going to cure you from dementia or Alzheimer's, but there are some medications out there that if caught early enough and can slow the process, Mm -hmm. slow the process down. Um, the hardest part I think about dementia is there's no, um, there's no cookie cutter you have dementia, this is what's going to happen. That No, 
it's very, very different for everybody. And some people, you know, exhibit behaviors that are very, very upsetting, very upsetting to family members. They can't help it. Mm -hmm. They can't help it. They don't want to be doing that. They can't help it. So it is really important also to have a psychiatrist involved so that if there are behaviors that we are seeing caused by this cognitive decline, whatever the diagnosis may be, there are medications that can help with those things. Mm-hmm. And I know that people are, you know, there's two schools, right? There's, I'm very anti-medications in general, we just need to play it out. But there are situations where a loved one cannot stay in the current environment where they are because they are putting themselves or someone else at risk. Yeah, well, that's actually related to one of the other questions I had for you. I mean, I've, I've seen this a lot too, which is that, you know, everybody wants to do right by their family member and it can feel really, really hard to define a limit to say, I can, I can do this, but I, I draw the line here and I can't do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And how do you help people wrestle with that? Because I know it's so, it's so hard for any of us in any situation sometimes to, to acknowledge a limit and say no and say, no, I can't do more than what I'm already doing. And so how do you help people figure out what a healthy boundary is for them? So are, are you just so that I'm clear? So like, are yeah. you talking about like how involved the family member gets in a certain situation or like difficult decisions saying, okay, I, you know, I can't make a decision about like DNR or DNI. Yeah, I get, well, that's a big one too, but I guess I was thinking more in terms of um, decisions that are going to determine um, sort of activity, ongoing involvement. Like, am I going to, one family member wants me to visit every single day. Okay. Well, I I cannot do that. And how do I assert that? Yep. Yep. So without feeling overly guilty. Yeah. So one of the things that I do all the time, so this is what I talk to all of my family members about when, when I start a, a new case, I will say to them that we are a partnership. We are a partnership and I'm very transparent because unfortunately, and fortunately, sometimes my services are not covered through insurance. So it is a private pay service through the family. So I try to be very transparent with them. And I will say, Um, After I do an evaluation, I write up what I call like a roadmap of recommendations, and I kind of go through everything that could possibly come up and give them um, resources, links to various things. So I'll say to families, you know, I can do all or nothing or anywhere in between. You need to tell me what your comfort level is. What do you feel comfortable taking on? And what do you feel I cannot handle this. I don't want to handle this. And I need you to take it on. Then there are also situations where you do have that one family member who feels like everyone is on them and they need to be everything. I am there for that person. So I am there to educate them on their boundaries. I am there to alleviate any of the stress and guilt that they feel when they are um, dealing with these things. And oftentimes I will recommend that they see a therapist for themselves because I am not providing therapy to them. I am giving them, you know, 
guidelines. I'm giving them boundaries. I'm, I'm helping them see where it becomes unhealthy for them, but I am not doing therapy with them. So I will often recommend people see a therapist. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think, you know, in, in every example that you've given, it just really speaks to the value of having an outside objective person give some input. Um, because when you're in the middle of it and you've got your own emotions involved, it's just really hard to see clearly and objectively. That's exactly right for all of us. Yeah. You know, even when I'm, when I'm dealing with stuff with my family, like it's hard for me to see and pull myself out of the situation because our emotions get in the way yeah, and our guilt and our, you know, roles in our family, which we've had all these years, they get in the way mm-hmm. of how, how do we do this? So, yeah, yeah I think it's so true. You, you are a gift. I mean, in, in, with every case that I, that I've been involved with and in, having someone like you, you know, it's really life-changing. And so I hope for people who are listening today, if you didn't even know that someone like Daniela exists, <laughs> I hope this really opens your eyes. And for those of you who are facing these kinds of situations right now with elder care, I really hope you will think about taking advantage of um, people like Daniela to really help you through the process. So for people who want to find you, Daniela, and learn more um, about your services, where would you recommend they look for information? So certainly my website is the best place I feel. Um, You can see a lot of what the services are that we provide. You can take a look and you'll get a little bit of information about me. I have a nurse nurse case manager that works with me. Her name is Janet Thomas. You'll get some information about her um, and you'll get to see. And I think the testimonial page is really very interesting because you can see the diversity of the cases. You can see the diversity of the types of cases that we have been involved with. Um, and kind of, uh, I think that's really helpful for families because I think people feel like, you know, this is just something that I'm dealing with and I just need to deal with it, right? Like this is, this is what happens and I need to deal with it. You, you don't have to deal with it alone. You don't have to deal with it alone. You can have someone just walk with you down that path as much or as little as you want. I think that's really the most important thing that I would want people to understand that it can just be, you know, an hour consultation. I don't have to go to the house. I don't Mm -hmm. have to get involved. Um, However, there are cases where, you know, I make recommendations and it's the family's decision. The family drives everything. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I do not make any decisions. I always give them options and it is their decisions to make. That's so well said. So I just want to mention it again. So it's Mm agingwelladvocates.com and we'll put that in the show notes. So if you um, want to find that link directly, it'll it'll be in there. Aging Well Advocates and it's Daniela Master. So Daniela, I think we covered a lot today. This was a really good overview of how someone like you can really play a, a, a huge role in a very difficult situation. So thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you. It was great. And thank you everyone for listening. And I'll be back next week. Hope you'll join me for another episode. Yes. Thanks for having me. Thanks again. Bye everyone. 
Hello friends, it's Carol Perlman coming on to say hello and thank you so much for listening. I hope you've been enjoying these episodes as much as I've enjoyed creating them for you. I wanted to make sure you knew about a special program that is currently being offered on my website. If you go to www.healthybenumber4lifebycarolperlman.com, you'll see more information about my current time management classes. If you follow me on social media, if you listen to my podcast, you know that I believe time management is behind almost every single one of your goals. And the more you can perfect your skills in time management, the more successful you're going to be in reaching your goals. I have created what I believe is a really outstanding class. I've been studying time management for years. I've been perfecting my own system and I've been teaching others for almost 15 years now. I created an online course, a 21-day habit formation course that is now available to you. They, quote unquote, they say it takes 21 days to create a new habit. And I find that that is often time the case. So go look on the website, healthyforlifebycarolperlman.com, and you will see current offerings. I have several different time management classes for specific audiences, but the general one is just the It's About Time time management class. You'll see all the details there. You'll see the upcoming start date, and there's always the opportunity to buy the workbook and complete the course as a self-paced course and take it at your own speed. It's one exercise a day. All you need to commit is 10, maybe 15 minutes a day. Step-by-step, you will create new habits that last a lifetime for better time management. Check it out, and I hope to see you in one of the classes. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Healthy Habits for Life. If you loved today's episode, please follow me on iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. These are so important and will enable others like you to find this podcast. Also, please share this podcast with your friends you know would also love it so we can get the word out. Thanks again for joining me. Until next week.